0: Tonight, um, um, I'll be speaking about awareness of the body. And next Thursday, same time, same place, awareness of emotions, and the following Thursday, awareness of thought. So um, I hope that you'll come for the whole sequence. Uh, Mindfulness is not just about paying attention to the breath or the body, and it's helpful to go through a sequence to um, feel some sense of the expansiveness of... um, of working with different experiences of the mind and body. Maybe I'll just also say one or two words about myself, since as I was looking out, peeking during the meditation, there are quite a few of you that I don't know. And so, um, welcome. And I'd just like to see a show of hands. How many people are quite new to meditation? And let's say, um, maybe within the last... Six months have only been meditating. Okay, and how many of people are within the, have only been meditating about 22 minutes? <laughs> Who's brand new? Anyone brand new? Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Shila Catherine, and um, just to say a few words about myself so you know where I'm coming from. Um, I've been practicing for about 23 years and um, grew up in the Bay Area. My family's in the Bay Area and have just moved back, haven't even unpacked yet. Um, um, I was spent the last two years in New Mexico serving as the resident Dharma teacher um, for the Vipassana Sanghas in Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Um, And uh, so I've just come home and it's nice to be back. My agreement was two years to be in New Mexico and that went by so fast. Some of you I know from before then and many of you um, I don't know so well. Um, I'll actually be around for about a month and then I undertake one year of um, intensive meditation at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts. So I'll be entering a one-year retreat um, by October 1st. So I'll be in the Bay Area for about a month. And it's really a joy to be able to um, be coming to this center during this time. And so, on to the topic for the ninth. Embodied awareness. Mindfulness of the body. How many people here have their bodies? <laughs> Did you feel your body during the meditation? Oh, good. A lot of nods. Sometimes we miss that we're embodied. And we just spend the whole time thinking. And actually haven't felt the body. In meditation practice, we don't concentrate the mind so strongly that we numb out to the body. Instead, we develop mindfulness and awareness so that we embody our practice. We embody our awareness. We embody our freedom. We practice with that quality of embodying the awareness so that we don't get lost in a conceptual level of experience, just dealing with how we think things should be, but we actually are encountering and are sensitive to how things are in the present moment in this lived experience. And I find the experience of sneezing to be quite interesting. Did anybody sneeze today? Some people who have allergies sneeze a lot and really know the experience. Too often, a sneeze I find very interesting because it's actually quite an overwhelming physical experience. There are an enormous amount of sensations and tingling and vibration and shifts. I mean, the whole body is involved in a sneeze. But very often we miss the sneeze. We go very quickly into embarrassment or shame or wishing that we hadn't, or just thinking it was a sneeze. And actually miss sneezing. So the next time you sneeze, I challenge you to do it with full and complete awareness. Consider it that the most precious moment of meditation for that day. Just to really feel the sneeze. Because it's one of those signals that brings us into an embodied awareness of the here and now. This evening, I want to briefly touch on eight reflections that work with different aspects of embodied awareness. And the first is to reflect do you like your body? Or are you too tall or too short, too fat or too thin? What about your color? Too light or too dark? The texture too rough or too smooth? What about the shape? Do you like your body? Do you ever stand in front of a mirror without judgment? We can cultivate a quality of kindness and acceptance towards the body that we embody. It was very interesting to spend some years in the monasteries in Thailand without mirrors. And just being without a mirror shifts the relationship to body, so it becomes a felt experience of body rather than a visual experience of body. The felt experience tends to be quite alive and vivid. The visual experience can easily move into comparisons. Sometimes we're dissatisfied with whatever it is that we have. I remember when I was in high school, we had those curling irons. And I I never had any curl to my hair, so I used to spend a lot of time trying to get curl. And my best friend had really, really, really curly, curly hair. So what did she do? She spent all her time ironing it. (laughs) We very often judge ourselves by our appearance and others by their appearance. Sometimes our culture seems to glorify aspects of the body, health fads, um, glamour, different changing, rapidly changing styles. Um, and sometimes we compare ourselves not to our experience of our own bodies, but we compare ourselves to the image on the magazine or to the dress that looks good on the mannequin as though that image of the body is some static goal to attain. It's not a concept to attain. Can we drop in and feel the body as it is, so that we don't keep comparing ourselves to an image that is static, but we experience a body that can actually accommodate the changing experiences of life, can accommodate illness, can accommodate aging, and can accommodate dying. The static images of body don't accommodate illness, aging, and dying. So reflect for a moment. Does your relationship to your body allow for the changes of illness, aging, and dying? How attached are you to an image of body. The second reflection I'd like to mention is a traditional practice of the contemplation of the body. And I'd like to read a verse from the Satipatthana Sutta where the Buddha taught, One reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin, as full of many kinds of impurities thus. In this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends, full of many sorts of grain such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. And one with good eyes were to open it and review it thus, this is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So, too, a practitioner reviews this same body. In this way, one abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, and both internally and externally. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. Now that isn't meant as a biology lesson. It's actually meant as a guide to contemplation. So that we contemplate what composes this body. When we contemplate the body parts, it becomes very hard to say this is who I am, I am this, I am this body. Do you ever reflect upon the interior of the body? The food we eat is so attractive when it's on the plate, but do we also desire it and contemplate it as we swallow it, as it gets digested, and as it gets eliminated? In Thailand, we would go, from the monastery in small groups to the um, hospital in Bangkok where they would allow us in small groups to observe the autopsies and then we would return to the monastery and do the death meditations and contemplations based upon um, the experience of seeing and smelling the the um, corpses in various stages of decay and inside and outside. It's quite a powerful practice to consider what is inside and what do we take to be ourselves because very often we're disconnected from the experience of sinew, bones, um, hair, nails, spleen, all the stuff inside. But we only take an image to be who we are, to be a concept, and that's a concept. So, contemplate for a moment the inside of the body. Just reflect for a moment that there's blood circulating, that there's marrow in the bones, that there are ligaments, tendons, muscles that there's skin and there's fat there's sweat and the sweat moves out through the skin when we breathe there's an exchange of air and oxygen since the lungs The heart beating, the various organs working, the digestion occurring. The third reflection I want to mention is our sitting posture because in meditation we can, we directly use our posture for contemplation of the body. Now contemplating the sitting posture may not be as exotic as contemplating the um, decaying corpse or the um, whatever, the head, hairs and spleen. but It's a very important part of our practice that when we sit, we know we're sitting. When we stand, we know we're standing. When we walk, we know we're walking. When we bend, we know we're bending. And we can relax with awareness in the awareness of the posture itself. And within the posture, we can work with a profound quality of stillness, Stillness doesn't deny the body. And there are many forms of body awareness practices that involve movement, like Tai Chi and yoga, Feldenkrais, and, um, oh, zillions of kinds, walking meditation, Alexander technique. Many kinds of work involve a movement of the body. But a deep quality of body work can also occur through stillness. And there may be times when one wishes to undertake a kind of resolve of stillness or vow of stillness. And I recommend beginning with small doses where we might sense that there are lots of little movements that are actually just distracting us from the experience of the body. And so we make a commitment to be still, say for 10 minutes, and just not move. In the 70s and 80s, the practice at the Insight Meditation Society tended to be quite a bit um, stricter in this regard to stillness and the quality of efforting. And I remember being instructed many times to take a vow of stillness, to not move. And that meant not blinking, not swallowing. And I remember they said, when, when you if you have a cold, let it drip. <laughs> Now, their style of practice and effort has um, opened up quite a bit and it's much softer now. But there was some tremendous value and strength that can come from practicing that way. Not from outside being forced to stay still, but at certain times in your practice, finding that inner discipline and that wish to just stay still and let the sensations arise and pass in awareness without triggering those squirms and those movements, and those scratches. The fourth way that I want to suggest that we embody our practice is by working directly with pain or illness. Sometimes when we're ill, people experience a sense of being weak or a failure, almost shame. Dharma practice does not eliminate illness or pain, but it certainly does increase our capacity to open to pain. And now many beginning students may think, why would I want to open to pain? Why would I want to feel pain even more clearly? Don't I want to get away from this? Don't I want to eliminate it? And it takes some awareness of the subtleties of the mind and the body to really understand that it's actually more difficult to resist the pain than to just open to what is occurring moment by moment. We practice when we're sick. We practice when we're in pain. We practice with a cold, with a flu, with a fever. We practice when the mind is dull as well as when it's sharp, when the body's tired and slow, as well as when it's energized and clear. We can feel the heat in the body of a fever, the cold of chills. We can feel the alterations in the body after surgery. We can feel how the body is affected by different foods, different drugs, different um, medications. When we're ill, we can't force or expect our meditations to be clear because often the mind is not clear when there's illness. So illness becomes a time to practice, but to practice acceptance, patience, kindness, compassion, allowing, and most importantly, equanimity. Practicing in Thailand... um, what happens to everybody, myself included, is that one gets these fevers, mosquito-borne fevers of various sorts. I had dengue fever, which is a most unpleasant fever. And so one then practices, stays in the monastery and practices with those um, uh, experiences of fever, of heat, of burning, of chills, of sweats, of coldness and all of the fluctuations that occur when one is very ill. We never know when the moment of our death is going to come and we don't wait until the moment of our death to practice mindfulness, clarity, presence and wakefulness. But when we practice with illness sometimes that sense of the possibility, the inevitability of our death seems clearer, seems more apparent. And so practicing when we're sick can become a preparation for our death. The fifth reflection is to embody our practice by restraint at the sense doors. So the sense stores being, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. Can you notice during your day, where does the eye tend to stray? Does it get you into trouble? What about the ears? Where do the ears get drawn? Does that seduction get you into trouble? What about the tongue? Does the taste crave for certain flavors? that may cost you in health, in time, in addiction. What about the mind? Where does the mind wander and stray? Does it move in fantasy, and planning, in worry, in fear? How much trouble is in that trip? In daily life, there's benefit in working with what we take in through the senses and to make some choices, because sometimes it's wise to restrain the senses. Perhaps to not take in everything, maybe not every taste, maybe not every sound. Sometimes we need to make wise choices about how much we are impacted, especially giving attention to the impact of the media. You might find yourself driving down the highway and every billboard somehow pulls the eyes, the colors, the blinking lights. And it might be worthwhile to actually rest- refrain from having the eyes move to the billboards and pay attention instead to what's happening on the road. Some people read the newspapers quite a lot. Sometimes that can be very helpful to stay informed, but it can at times become obsessive, where we find that the impact is no longer helpful and skillful, but is actually just creating disturbance in the mind. So can we refrain from, perhaps reduce, from three newspapers a day or four hours of news to just one half an hour of news or one newspaper a day? To notice what it is we do to relax. What kind of programs do we watch on television? What kind of music do we hear? What kind of conversations do we engage in over a meal? We don't need to cut out an open engagement with the social component of life. But we can bring some sensitivity to see how much is wise to open to at any given point. How much can we let in? The sixth reflection includes awareness of gender, of having a woman's body or a man's body. Women's bodies have historically been glorified either for their seductive power or vilified as demonic, as causing trouble. With the influence of ascetic views during the Buddhist time, there were many meditations that were taught to regard the body as foul, as disgusting, as dangerous. In particular, the woman's body because he was teaching monks to overcome lust by developing um, um, aversion for the woman's body. And he was also teaching nuns to overcome pride in the woman's body. And these meditations classically included rather gruesome contemplations on aging and and dying. And there was one time where there was one... um, very beautiful um, courtesan who um, would receive a thousand um, gold coins um, from a man for, for, each, for one night of service. And um, she was a great patron of the Buddha. And when she eventually died, the Buddha um, asked that her body not be cremated immediately, but be left for a few days to begin to decay. And he asked the population to go by and to look at the body because this was the most desirable woman in the region. And he asked, who now will pay 1,000 coins? Who will pay 500 coins? Who will pay 200 coins? Who will pay 100 coins? Who will pay 50 coins? Who will pay 10 coins? Nobody would even pay one coin. To spend a night with this body. Sometimes the descriptions in the texts are what we would consider politically incorrect, Um, where the woman's body is sometimes compared to shark as sharks, or probably the best one was blight on rice. Or all kinds of various encounters. And I feel this kind of comparison really is coming out of that cultural conditioning. But it does ask us to consider how comfortable are we with our gender? How comfortable are we with other genders? Certainly the problem is not in the woman's body. It's in how do we relate to maleness and femaleness. Are we relating with grasping and aversion? Are we okay with our gender? Are we okay with the genders of others? Are we comfortable with an ambiguity of gender? Are you comfortable when you can't tell if somebody's male or female? What about cross-dressing, transsexuals? Transgendered individuals. When I first went to India, I was wearing pants and I had very, very short hair. Like, very short. Um, and my teacher used to tease me a lot because he would say that I was a boy. He'd say that I looked just like a boy. Everybody thought that I was a boy. And so he would call me boy and all kinds of things like that. And it just made me reflect upon how culturally conditioned the view of gender is. Simple things like the length of hair and whether it's a skirt or pants. And actually how uncomfortable many people are when they can't immediately get whether someone's male or female. Shakespeare's plays dealt a lot with this age-old discomfort. Um, many of his plays have cross-dressing and, and people coming in, characters changing and hiding as. Um, Twelfth Night is one classic one where, where all of the love triangles Deal with cross-dressing and people thinking that somebody falling in love with with different parties. There was the, the it, it started with a shipwreck, and then um, a woman Viola was um, washed ashore, believed to be the only survivor. But knowing that it wasn't safe to walk through um, to walk in the country um, unattended, she um, dressed. She cut her hair and dressed as a boy. And then took a job as a page, and then there were all of these various um, humorous misunderstandings based upon what sex she was perceived to be, and who she was in love with, and who was in love with her. And then her brother showed up, looking like her, exactly like her twin, her, because he was washed ashore in another place. Anyway. I think at the end, um, it, I think at the end, if um, she agreed to dress as a woman, then she could be the queen, married and lived happily after after something like that. So reflect for a moment. How comfortable are you with, with your gender? Have you ever experienced? being perceived as the other gender. The seventh reflection I'd like to suggest is that we can embody our practice by using the sensations as the object and method for the meditation. What do you actually experience in your body now? I'd like to hear. What sensations do you feel? Just call out a sensation. What? Cold. Feet. Cold. cold. Feets a concept. Cold's a sensation. Tingling. In the back. tingling. Tingling's a concept. Back. I mean, back is a sensation. Tingling. Tingling. So, tingling. Cold. Pressure. Pressure. Yes. What else? Calm. Calm. In the body. Calm is generally considered a mind state, but we can feel a calmness of body, a smoothness almost or an openness or that lack of reactivity. And that's important because very often we experience mind states through the body. Nice, a calmness, a calmness of body. What else? Tension, Tension, yeah. What else? Circulation. Circulation. Do you feel that movement, that vibration? Yeah tightness yeah yeah what else yeah. breath what do you feel as the sensation of breath you can feel the movement of the rising the expansion and contraction the expansion and contraction breath is a concept but expansion and contraction we know the breath through the sensation through that actual experience of expanding and contracting what else input. what kind of input So you can feel almost the vibration of the impact. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the idea that it's a sensory impact, again, is a concept, but we feel it through the vibration. And sometimes we can let go of the idea this is sensory impact and just feel the vibration, the vibration, the vibration. And it can come through like as waves of vibration, wave of... of, and different interactions. Some sounds will have... and, and Feelings, they'll have different vibrational tones. Yeah, nice. Mindfulness practice is not about becoming good at watching the breath, nor becoming good at just observing bodily sensations. We're working with the mind in relationship to experience. So we work with bodily sensations... But it's not just so that we notice more sensations. We don't get a prize for noticing the most sensations in a 30-minute in a meditation period. But we do notice the sensations that arise, and we notice them with precision, just as you did. Tightness, tension, um, expansion, contraction, vibration, coldness, heat. We notice whether it's pleasant or unpleasant its feeling tone. And then we look even deeper into the sensations themselves. Are they static? Or are they changing? We can notice the impermanence of the experience and really look into that changing constellation of sensations that make up anything that we might call tingling or vibrating or coldness. We can actually develop interest In the physical life of the body. Sometimes we'll be sitting and it'll feel like, well, yeah, I know I'm breathing in, I know I'm breathing out, but there's kind of a surface quality to the meditation that feels a little bit dull. This is a really good time to notice how the sensations are changing so that we look even more carefully. And then we can look to see what is our relationship to the sensations. Is there desire? and aversion, or equanimity, and calmness. We can work with with the sensations in the sitting meditation and also in the walking meditation, where we drop into the sensory level of the experience and feel the feet lifting, moving, placing. We can just drop into feeling that changing flow of experience that occurs in any movement. And in daily life situations, we can drop into the sensory level of experience. When you're typing at the computer, you can shift the attention just in a moment to feel the temperature of the keys, to feel the pressure. When washing the hands in the sink, instead of just getting it over with and thinking about where you're going next, Actually register, feel the wetness, the temperature of the water, the softness, the contact. When driving, instead of just spacing out in stories and plans, feel the texture of the steering wheel. The temperature is the sun coming in. What about the pressure of the foot? Working with these experiences of dropping into the sensory level of experience, whether in the sitting, the walking, or in daily life, helps us to really be present in our action. And it's a great way of cultivating this quality of embodied awareness so that our mindfulness is grounded in the body. It's steady and stable. Being here now isn't some idea of just... I don't know what, but it's really being with what's now. Even if it's as simple as pressure and tingling. The last um, reflection I'd like to suggest is to be sensitive to the body's response to the meditation we can allow different states to actually pervade the body. Sometimes tranquility will arise, calmness, a sense of peacefulness or joy, rapture, delight. These are very wholesome states that we can feel throughout the body and actually allow every cell of the body to respond to the arising of these wholesome states. We don't need to grasp them, but we can make the space to actually abide in tranquility when tranquility has arisen. To really feel the calmness, to let the delight infuse our experience. Tremendous healing comes from abiding in wholesome states and they arise in the meditation practice. So we don't need to push them away or think, oh no, I've got to get back to that pain. I've got to work with that difficult emotion. Actually, when these experiences of calmness and tranquility and peace and joy arise, to allow it to suffuse the body. Deep meditation can sometimes seem to be working on the cellular level of things. I sometimes feel like my practice is being known by the cells of the body rather than being understood by the mind. And it's difficult to explain, but sometimes it feels like it's a non-conceptual experience and it's really just being known by the body that the cells are being transformed. Now, scientifically, I don't know exactly what's happening, but it feels like there's a karmic change or a condition, a change of conditioning that occurs at a level before concept, before mind. When this kind of experience arises in the meditation, that doesn't feel like the meditation is going through the mind, interpreting, analyzing, figuring it out, plotting it, guiding it, but it's just being known through the body. The feeling that arises for me is a deep trust in the Dharma, a tremendous faith in the unfolding of the practice. We all have bodies. We don't need to fear them, we don't need to judge them, and we don't need to reject our bodies. They're actually what's keeping us sentient and alive. We don't need to fear the pain that arises in bodies or the illness that occurs. Nor do we need to fear the pleasure that can arise, the joy, the delight, the tranquility that can be experienced. These are all experiences and sensations that are simply known, free of judgment, just known. Freedom is not dependent on having any particular shape of body. Freedom is not dependent upon having a healthy body rather than an ill body. It's not dependent upon having a beautiful body or a particularly strong body. It's not limited to one gender or one age or any posture. I think many of us have known people who were quite ill or incapacitated who still abided with a mind that was so beautiful and clear. We're challenged in practice to be with the difficult in our bodies in a way that is liberating so that we abide at ease and at peace with the truth of our bodies as they change as they age and as they die. The Buddha offered us this wonderful practice of mindfulness of body. Mindfulness of body, to bring the mindfulness into the body and feel all of those changing experiences so that we free the mind from clinging. So that we free the mind from grasping things as static and fixed. And then, without clinging, we abide in happiness. Happiness in relationship to whatever arises. We embody our freedom. We don't just embody our pain. We know our freedom as we sit, as we stand, as we reach, as we eat, as we digest, as we speak. We know our freedom in illness and in health. And in the midst of activity, in the midst of meditation, and in the midst of the flurry of emotional changes. As we embody our practice and experience our freedom moment by moment in our lived experience, we free the mind from all grasping and all confusion. So reflect for a moment about the quality of your connection with the body. How present are you for living in this body? How fully do you embody your life? like to take a few minutes for discussion, comments, questions. How many people use um, bodily sensations as a primary component of your meditation practice? How many people use thought as a primary component of your meditation practice? How many people use um, sound as a primary component of your meditation practice? Um, Oh, your chosen object, where you tend to let the attention rest. What about the breath? that can be included in body as well. Yeah. Okay. Any challenges that you fi- found working with the body? Anything that's difficult or anything that you found to be quite insightful? Please. I come to the realization that I'm actually quite uncomfortable in my body. Always. And I'm trying to... Deal with that in meditation, but I don't know. It's not always something that will arise naturally. And I don't know if it's counterproductive to actually try to deal with that. You know, there is, um, there is a place for reflection in meditation practice. When we find something, um, we get a glimmer of, okay, I'm uh, uncomfortable with this. And then in the stillness of the meditation, we can start to explore. Okay, is there any discomfort in this? Or when we have, say, a um, clear experience of the body, so that we can sort out. Well, what actually is uncomfortable? Is it? Is it when we walk down the when we when we walk down the um, the a st- string of shops and we see the image in the reflection? Is it the image? That's uncomfortable? Is it, is it uncomfortable to relate to pain in the body? Is it uncomfortable to relate to um, pleasure in the body? To warmth? Is it, um, is there, what, what aspects? And I think we can use the meditation practice for some exploration. So that we start to see, okay, what's actually happening there? How am I relating to this experience that's making it uncomfortable? We don't need to think a lot about it. We just bring the quietness and the power of the meditation to look into the experience more and more. There are lots of things we're uncomfortable with. One thing I notice is that I often have a sensation of the, the breath body kind of being along my spine and then there's the rest of the body that is like disconnected with that. And I never quite know what to do. I don't know how to explore it. I feel like it might be an important thing to sort of deal with because there's this sense of the good breath body that's kind of aligned with the spine and then there's the rest of the body. You know, I take it in a really simple way. I I wouldn't work with the concepts of breath body. I'd actually just go to what's actually experienced. Expansion, contraction, tightness, tingling. And let the attention rest just in that, without any concept of breath-body. Just actually feeling the tightness, the expansion. The tightness, the expansion. As simple as possible. No other thoughts? And I'd like to um, do a little meditation for the last um, just 10 minutes. So if we settle into a meditation for a moment. Bring the awareness to feel the posture of sitting. Intentionally drop the awareness into the body. Feel the temperature, the heat. Rest in that experience of heat. Feel the contact with the chair or the cushion or the floor. And rest in that contact. Feel the place where the hands touch each other or the thighs, and for a moment rest in that contact. Feel the eyes closed how the lids touch. And let the attention rest in that contact. Feel the breath moving. Feel the body breathing. So that the breath isn't a concept of breathing, but we feel the sensations of breathing. The expansion, the contraction. changing vibrations, the tightness, the smoothness. Let the attention come very close to the sensations of breathing. If you feel tightness, let the awareness meet the tightness. Let it penetrate the tightness. If you feel warmth, let the awareness embrace the warmth. so that we come into our physical experience knowing it as it changes without resistance, without needing it to be anything other than it is. Finding a peaceful mind through resting in the experience that is I would imagine many of you are familiar with the practice of dana, or generosity. And I just want to briefly um, um, highlight the... um, They used to be baskets. As I walked in, I thought they looked remarkably like boxes. Um, But there are two containers. Um, One is for um, donations to the center, the other are donations to the teacher. And it's quite an amazing practice that um, these teachings are offered freely. You don't pay a fee to come to the meditations, the study sessions, the lectures, the programs here. And it's made possible only through the generosity of students. So your contributions really are what keeps the ele- lights on and the electricity and keeps this place running. And they're very much appreciated for the center. And for myself as well, they're very much appreciated. I am a full-time Dharma teacher have, and don't have a day job. This is what I do. Um, and um, I teach retreats in various places and classes and courses and um, sitting groups and programs such as this. And um, I appreciate very much your contributions because it's what allows me to eat and to put gas in the car and to pay my insurance and all of the various things that um, people need to do in this world. So um, I thank you in advance for any contributions that you feel moved to make and um, look forward to seeing you next week. Good night.